Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. I'm Josh Peck, who's the owner, proprietor, uh, perpetuator, masseuse, just the, the, the lead contributor for the Curious Podcast with Josh Peck. I, I didn't mean to say masseuse. I was going to say like masseur, but I wasn't sure. But you know, like I judge things. You know what I mean? I, I, I manipulate them and then I deliver them into your ears. What? What a weird way to start this thing. Um, welcome back, guys. Thank you for coming back. Always, I am honored and cannot believe that you listen to this thing. But if you do and partially enjoy it, then I thank you one million times because this medium means a lot to me because I really enjoy it. I love podcasts and I love listening to them. I like I discovered five new ones last week, which on, you know, one hand uh, threatened me and made me feel like, oh, my God, how's mine ever going to be special in this fucking sea of never ending new podcasts? Because the barrier for entry is so low as exhibited in mine. But the other part of it said, wow, I am so excited to be part of something that I am a true true fan of because how rarely does that happen you know i mean listen i'm i'm an actor first and foremost and and if i got you know if i was lucky enough to be on some some network tv show again perhaps maybe one day down the road it would be a blessing and i would feel lucky and it would be great to have that level of financial security that i've so heard about in that when you get that kind of job but I don't watch a lot of network TV. That's not hating. That's not, I'm not throwing shade. You know what I mean? I just, for me, I just, there's certain things that I, I gravitate towards. And I know that, you know, network TV makes a lot of people happy. And so then it's a wonderful thing. But for me, this guy, Josh Peck, you know, person who's speaking now, it's perhaps not my thing as much. But podcasts are my motherfucking thing, you know? I love this shit. I listen all the time. My wife, who tends to wake up just a little bit later than I, which I find adorable, will yell at, not yell, okay, listen, she doesn't yell, all right? But she will take issue with the fact that after I take my morning shower, I will listen from my phone at the vanity at my sink as I'm, you know, doing up my hair or just getting all, you know, perfect, setting up the the image that I want to project when I walk outside. And I will have a podcast on full blast and it will just resonate. Is that the word? Probably. Resonate through the house, you know, and it'll, it, could, it might wake her up. And so you, the listener, you're saying, Josh, you prick, why don't you wear AirPods or some sort of inner ear auditory advice or device as to not, you know, uh, interrupt your wife's sleep schedule. You're right. I've taken your calls and suggestions. I've gotten the letters. Okay. I am investing in some earbuds. I'm buying some AirPods. This happened. All right. What is this? Uh, an Apple advertisement? No, no, no. They, they, they got enough juice. All right. They don't need me, you know, pushing their products, even though I am a fan. 
Guys, I've been really enjoying this sort of shit-talking rant at the beginning of, uh, of the pods lately, so I think I might start doing this on a more regular basis and actually bring in a funny friend of mine as sort of a revolving host, guest host type thing to do before the pods where we'll talk for, I don't know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, as long as it's interesting before each pod. And we'll talk about current events and we'll chop it up and bullshit a little bit and make fun of certain things and just kind of like get it out there. And then it will segue into the interview because I love interviewing and I love the honor and the pleasure of being able to sit for an hour with someone that I'm fascinated by or look up to. And now that I've got a couple of these under my belt, I'm feeling a little uh, more opinionated. I got a little, I got a little more to say, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think we might try that maybe next week. Who knows? If you hate it, you know, tweet me at it's Josh Peck and I will, uh, I'll, I'll feel bad about myself and then I'll probably stop doing it. So, you know, let me know your, your feedback is, uh, is super important. All right, what's going on in, in, in the news today? Is your feedback? Yeah, your feedback's important. Yeah, I, listen, I care. My, my, my future is in your, your hands. Oh, okay, so I recently, I have some strong feelings about something, and I'm going to dance delicately around this subject because I, I don't want to make any shit. How do I say? Okay, so recently, if you were, you know, watching the news or what have you, Demi Lovato, huge pop star, person that I know and have met before who is lovely and, like, unfairly talented, like, dumb, crazy talented. She went through some shit. I'm not going to even talk about it here because I don't want to perpetuate it. It's not my fucking business. And I'm sure she'll come out of it beautifully. And if you don't know, go look it up. It'll be like the first Google search. My commentary and what I'm taking issue with, umbrage, some might say, is when Demi went through her thing, whatever, and it hit the news. I just don't fuck with this need for everyone to run and put a tweet out with their thoughts and prayers. Fuck out of here. It's just so hollow it doesn't it doesn't mean anything am i allowed to say that is that okay am i gonna upset some people i mean like the big big people who run to to give their statement you know i love that we're all like the president now in in 2018 and it's like up get my press secretary (laughs) get my tweet secretary together you know where's my tweet secretary let's go we got to draft a statement Got to get a statement. The people are waiting. They need to hear from the offices of whoever. I'm not going to call you out, but you fucking know who you are. And, you know, I just don't feel like we need to hear from like a daytime talk show host or a fucking internet personality or someone from television about someone's personal event that happened because we're all human and we go through shit and probably... They would rather it not be public knowledge and out there in the ether. And that by famous people tweeting about it, it yet just perpetuates it and makes the story bigger instead of suffocating it, which we're all capable of by just not acknowledging it. 
just allowing that person to go through what they're going through and their their close friends and family to band around them. And maybe, maybe, instead of the tweet, you uh, send a direct message, you know? Maybe you go in and you do it without the internet's help, without, you know, your 50 million followers having to know that you care. God, you care and good for you. It's special. God, I don't know. I just, it's hollow. Fuck your thoughts and prayers. I don't know. I don't know what those tweets do. I I just feel like they do not have the efficacy that people might think that they do. And I know that when people, they, they create that perfectly worded set up tweet and they, they push it out there and they hear that, you know, they hear that sound effect. And I know there's a little pang in their stomach that goes, yeah, I just did something good. No, you didn't. I'm here to tell you it wasn't good. It doesn't matter. It was eye junk food. It came and it went and it didn't leave anything better. But what the fuck do I know? What else? What else do we have going on here? Oh, this I found this super interesting. This is really interesting. Malaysia Flight 370, you know, the one in 2014 that like fucking disappeared in the Indian Ocean, was steered off course deliberately. What? Yo, I, I, I don't know what to say other than like, if you want to be done with this world, do it alone. Like, what? My guy. Fucking, there's just so many. Listen, if I perhaps, and I've never been tempted or, or, or thought about this, but, you know, if I was to ever be in a position where it was my last day on this earth, I'd want to go out, you know, overdosing while eating White Castle. That's my, but that's my truth, you know, and not everyone has plans like that. But I'll tell you what, it would just affect me. Sure, people would have to see the scene of me you know, expired with belly bomb White Castle rappers surrounding me. But I, you know, I think they might respect it and know that I went out exactly the way I wanted to. So if you're going to do it, fucking do it alone. Oh, and in, you know, the aviation sort of theme that we have going on right now, I found this Super interesting. Uh, Air marshals are watching passengers. Spoiler alert. Federal air marshals have for years been quietly monitoring small numbers of U.S. air passengers and reporting on in-flight behavior considered suspicious, even if those individuals have no known terrorism links. The Transportation Security Administration said on Sunday. Wow. Guys, first of all, good. I, I hope an air marshal is fucking watching everyone on the plane. Secondly, I am obsessed with air marshals and how they just seem to blend in. I've heard a few things because I've gotten into long conversations with flight attendants before because it's kind of my jam. From what I understand, a, a air marshal has to sit on the aisle because if some shit goes down, you know, they don't want a window seat because they don't know they don't know who's in the middle seat. And it might be a, you know, a person of a bigger size and they're gonna have to crawl over them to stop the bad guy. And then, you know, I don't know who's, who's in the aisle seat then. How are they going to get past him? It could be, uh, you know, it could be a guy with long legs. 
All right, that's another six seconds on top of it, and they're not going to be able to 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 thwart a, a criminal activity in that time, right? I don't know. If I was an air marshal, I'd be worried about falling asleep on flights because I fall asleep like that. You know what I mean? I mean, all right, a one-hour flight, you know, L.A. to Vegas, I get. You know, you stay awake for that. But you fly to L.A., New York, L.A., Miami, it's a long flight. The hum of the engines is sort of slowly putting you to sleep like a mechanical lullaby. God, it's all so fascinating. I once was on a flight, and when I was picking up my ticket, the person, the agent at the desk said, hey, the person sitting next to you has never been in first class before. Why don't you, why don't you, you know, welcome them? Now, I know what you're thinking. Josh Peck, what do you, you fly first class? What do you think you're impressive? I'm, no, I don't. I just, someone else was paying for it, and I just want to say thank you, because when I fly, I and I have to pay for it. I'm talking last row, frontier. Uh, I don't pay for carry-ons. I just wear all my clothes that I need for, you know, the trip. This way, I don't have to get charged for the $25 man bag that I carry. Anyway, and so I'm sitting there, and this guy is next to me, lovely guy. We chat a little bit, and I said, oh, I heard it's your first time in first class. And he kind of looked at me and laughed. He said, no, no, I've flown before. I was like, oh, uh, the flight, the, the, the woman at the, the desk mentioned, I, what do I know? Sorry, sorry. And, uh, and that was it. And then at the end of the flight, he said, hey, nice to meet you. Shook my hand. I pulled my hand away, and in it is a medallion for the U.S. Air Marshals. I mean, can you believe that? Is that not the coolest move you've ever heard? I mean, that's some cool-ass air marshal shit. I was in the safest seat on the plane. Right next. If anything popped off, he would have jumped up at full attention, and I would have felt like his deputy. I might have assisted. Probably not, but maybe. Oh, my God. Anyway, Jesus Christ. Guys, if you hate these rants, just please tweet me, write me, beat me if you want to reach me. Shout out, Christina Milian. All right. Today's guest is Andy motherfucking Milanakis. I'm cursing a lot. Yo, if my mom hears this pod, she's going to be bummed out. She's going to be like, really? All the cursing? Is it necessary? It, it cheapens you. I, already, I can hear it in my head. Andy Milanakis, I mean, comedy genius. He's done everything from the Jimmy Kimmel show to his own show on MTV to movies, television, now streaming live on Twitch on a regular basis. I love Andy. Uh, He was nice enough to do this pod. I so appreciate it. We had a great hour plus together. And he's also like a foodie in the best way. And I'm constantly looking to him for, uh, for food suggestions. He's like my own little personal Yelp in a cuter package. So please, guys, enjoy Andy. I remember drinking some tequila. Did you, were you drinking some of that good good? I think so. Yeah? This guy was telling me about his tequila round. Maybe I wasn't drinking. This guy was telling me about his tequila brand. (laughs) I feel like if you're ever not sure whether you were drinking or not. You probably were. You were probably drinking. Yeah. I feel like 
you, you and I have this thing, or at least in my head, of like you're one of the people in my lives where I feel like we know each other, even though we kind of yeah. we really don't. Yeah, for sure. Right. What what is that? I think just like I mean, we were kind of putting we kind of had stuff out similar time, right? Right. We came when up. When was when was uh when was your show? When did your show start airing? Do you know what year? Two thousand four. Okay. Mine started in 2004. Wow. We started exactly the same year. And same, I mean, MTV and and Nickelode- MTV owns Nickelodeon. So Oh, it's Viacom, right? Right. Yeah. So well, Viacom owns both, right? Yeah, we were sibling networks. Yeah, yeah. We were brothers. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, obviously, the New York vibes. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and I think we were like chubby, funny guys. Yep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like that with a lot of people. I think it's cool, though. I like that weird familiarity uh, when you just meet someone for the first time. You're kind of like, I know you, you know what I mean? Like, Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know your vibes. Yeah, yeah. Do you find, like, I, I notice that, too, especially in what we do and, and in the biz, like, where I'll meet people and I'll be like, I bet, like, I interviewed Jake Johnson the other mm-hmm. day. Uh, from the, he's from New Girl and a bunch of movies and TV, and I just knew I'm like you're gonna be great. Mm-hmm. I know it. Like you're one of. I totally feel that. And then the, on the on the more dark end, it's the whole, you know, don't ever meet your heroes, and you meet right. a lot of people that you're just like, oh man, my my whole perception of them is ruined, and I don't even want to watch you know the stuff that they're in anymore cuz they're so horrible. Come on, name it. Name a few. <laughs> oh man. Come on. You really you really want me to name a few. I can't put them out there like that. But yeah, I mean, uh and see there there's certain situations where it's like, okay, cool. I'm I'm judging a person at this point, right? I'm not right. saying that they are a shitty person. It's just like your interaction with them and your perception of them at that time kind of is like, all right, you're a little bit let down. You expect them to be a cool, outgoing dude. Yeah. Say, hey, what's up? You know, try not to fanboy too much and just, like, talk to them like a person, which, you know, check, check. I do. Right. You know, yeah. 99% of the time. I would believe that you would know how to deal with someone famous. Like, you would know how to approach them. You would. Yeah. Because you're one of. I think that's something, like, you kind of learn a little bit. Like, when I first got on Jimmy Kimmel Live... I don't think I was complete, like completely rude to people, mm. but I was a little bit picture heavy, picture happy, fanboyish. I was just like, every single day there's a new fucking celebrity on, and sure. I like, you know, watch pretty much all of them. So it's hard not to go around the green room being like, "Yo, what's up? Can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? Yeah, what's up, you Tom know? Hanks? Yeah, like, so I kind of did go a little picture happy, but. I wasn't like, I know, I wasn't like a complete asshole to them. Well, and I'm, yeah, I mean, we all go, th- I remember when I was 12 years old at the premiere for the first movie I was ever in, mm-hmm. and I went up to Steven Seagal, mm-hmm. and I was like, you don't, I mean, this is 2000. Did you kick him in the dick? I was like, Steven, <laughs> you don't know what you mean to chubby Josh Peck. <laughs> I have watched your movies and inhaled a lot of fast food <laughs> while watching them and enjoyed myself, like, thank you for all that you do. And mm-hmm. I, I went up to him and I just was like, hey, man, like, I'm in the movie. I just wanted to meet you. And he he literally said to me, all right, all right, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he 
you say get out of here? Yeah, he just was kind of like, because I wouldn't leave him. Like, I talked to him for maybe 25 seconds. Uh-huh. But, and he kind of. Well, I don't know if you know this about Steven Seagal. His interactions with people he doesn't know are limited to eight seconds. So you right. went really overboard by about three times. Uh, why didn't I get <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I get a disclaimer? <laughs> Nothing. No one told um, me. Yeah, I mean, I noticed, like, uh, again, I, I try to. I try to be a little bit, I, I try to remove my ego from the situation when I'm like judging people because I understand right. it's just my perception of that person. I do understand that, but it's hard when that's just who you are. When you have an interaction with someone, it's hard not to be like, oh, I hated this person for this reason. And there are a lot of people in LA that I met that I just, I was like, okay, I would like to hopefully never see that person again. Right. They just come off as like very scummy you know, holier than thou, full of themselves, like, and like, I just, it just rubs me the wrong way, and I just, it's, Hollywood is so gross, and so many people in it, in the scene, have celebrity status, are really just gross humans, in my eyes. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think, too, and, and it's, it's the only thing that's hard for me is to be around the machine when it has anointed a new person, especially a young person with success, mm-hmm. because now they are getting only yes men. All of their isms are being validated. So mm-hmm. like I've met, and I'm sure you've had this, I've met certain actors before or people that are so painfully uncomfortable Mm-hmm. But, like, people have allowed them to be that way. Like, my personality, your personality, was born out of necessity. Yeah. Because we couldn't be the sad, chubby guys. Yeah. Right? We had to be funny. We had to be affable because you want to attract people to you. Yeah. But, like, someone that feels entitled to be fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. And, like, and not to say, like, I don't want to get the tweets where they're like, well, some people just have personality disorders. I realize that. Yeah. But so many of the people that I've met before, they're, you know... They like the difference between being weird and being an eccentric is money. Mm -hmm. And I want to be like, bro, you're just like, you're just a weirdo. Like, stop acting this way. Like, look at me in my eyes and have a conversation with me. Like, let's just be friends. We don't have to make it so awkward, you know? And I, and when I really start to think about people who, you know, are maybe in a category of people that I don't think are, you know, cool, like, or I feel like they're like trash humans. <laughs> I just feel like hot, I, hot I, trash. I feel like a little bit guilty because I always think about dialing it back to like when there were babies and how we're all born innocent. And it's really interesting because we're a hundred percent, you know, not a hundred percent flawless, but we're all completely innocent and like, there are so many variables that enter our brain that kind of create who we are. Right. Like from our experiences, how our parents raised us, um, trauma, our, sur- our surroundings, kids. trauma, and also, and also just like the chemicals in our brain um, and just how our brain works. Like, you know, people forget that one. That's a big one. People think, oh, you know, you were raised in Compton with no money. You know, you grew up gangbanging and drug dealing and you act like this. And, and yeah, you're, you are a lot of the time a product of your surrounding, but also if you take two babies, you know, one who is raised in a really, you know, poor environment and the other one are rich, you're, you can't ever say that the poor one is going to be more fucked up. Right. Because sometimes 
the money fucks them up. Sometimes just like the chemicals in their brains. I mean, people are bipolar. They're they're depressed. Uh, they're clinically depressed. There's so many things going on in your brain. So I always I always go back to how much can I blame them? Like you are making a choice to be a horrible, shitty, unlikable person. <laughs> yeah. How much can I actually pin on the person for being an evil dick? And how many is how many of those attributes is is just like a part result. of a big soup of your brain that kind of just happened because of circumstance. Yeah. So yeah. I always feel a little bit sorry for people when I think about it like that. I think you're right. And I think you are um, advanced and woke, woke perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm woke as fuck, dog. <laughs> <laughs> for thinking that way. And I think that is the spiritual loving way to look at it. And I agree. Mm. And the only discrepancy I think there is, is that I look at people at a certain age and I feel like we're all troubled kids. Mm-hmm. We all have our story. Either we had too much money or not enough. Either yeah. we had too much love or not enough. Like p- pick your poison. Yeah. But you then, definitely have to accept some of the blame. Yeah. I'm not writing them off. That's There's it. definitely some choices where you're like, you're an adult, you know, you, you're not mentally disabled, you function, you talk to other humans, like something inside you is creating this dickish character and you have to take the blame for that. Well, yeah, because at a certain point, I feel like you cross the invisible loser line. Yeah. And you're no longer a kid with a troubled past. You're a grown-up douche. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I know certain people like that where they will try to hide behind the things that they were hiding behind at 14. I'll be like, you're 34. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like, go to therapy, get in a 12-step program, like, and volunteer and be a good person and get over yourself because mm-hmm. no one, everybody's busy. I can't grow up for you. Yeah. But like that is so much a part of the journey. And that's why I love, cause I've had it happen to me and I'm sure you've had it to some extent. Like I love people who have had the crap kicked out of them either emotionally or, and yet have risen from that, like a goddamn emotional Phoenix. Yeah. Because now like, I just feel like they're a they were completely un- the underdog. Like everything was working against them, and they still were strong enough to kind of prevail. Um, but then I think about like these complete douchebags, and like, what on a checklist? If we just unchecked how many of those boxes would they have turned into like a really cool, down to earth person? And right. what are those checklist things that created this douchebag? You know. <laughs> And like not being able to deal with money, maybe not being able to deal with success, um, you know, ego, their inflated self-worth. There's so many things that like you're kind of like, damn, if we could just uncheck those. And that's why I always think about, you know, a lot of people don't, a lot of kids don't have the luxury of having really great parents. But, um, and I know this would, you know, be kind of heated and controversial, but I'm just really surprised that like, um, you know, preschool through grade school. Well, they do it a little bit in preschool, but maybe like grade school, um, they don't have more classes. They don't like teach tact. They don't teach manners. It's like all about like this shit that they force feed these kids. But like, isn't it way more important to like try to like make like good human beings? Like on the other side, when you're finished with this, uh, grade school or when you're finished with middle school, like, are you a good person though? Do you know, you know, 
did you, oh, you did well in math. You got an A in math. You learned a lot about history. Mm-hmm. But do you have the social skills to become like a pretty positive, awesome person in life? Do you have like the street smarts in order to like survive in the real world? Yeah. And like the fact that we don't kind of like try try to put that and instill that into kids is like kind of crazy because they might not be getting it from home. There's a good chance they're not getting it from home. Well, yeah, like shitheads make shithead kids. Yeah, <laughs> but, a lot of the time. Unless they completely like realize early on that, oh, my parents suck. I'm going to rebel, but in a positive way. Well, I think too, like I've been sober for a long time and, and I do the whole 12-step thing. And mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting about at least what I've seen when it works for people is that the change is born out of we come in so fucking humiliated. Mm-hmm. Like what drugs and alcohol have a beautiful job at doing is bringing you down to your knees mm-hmm. and either getting you arrested or allowing you to lose a job or lose family or, or squander every opportunity. So you yeah. come in and you're like so raw and you're like, my way doesn't work. Please retrain me. Mm-hmm. And I've learned through that time of like how many people that I've seen lacked that adult school. As yeah. you were saying, like no one, and I had a great mom, I have a great mom who taught me so many things. And yet there were so many other things about in quotes, being a man and just growing up that was lost on me that I had to learn later on, mm-hmm. but I was a good student cause I knew I needed to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you know, it's crazy how much slips through the cracks, like just super obvious things that we should be teaching like the kids. To how like, to open up a bank account. I don't even know how to do that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> like those things like I don't I don't understand the old school way of teaching and textbooks. Like I know some of that stuff is important, but like, you know, once they're out of high school and they get a job or maybe they go to college and get a job and then they're out in the real world, you know, all these dysfunctional people who have, you know, so much trouble just kind of getting through the day, getting through the day in their regular life. You know, obviously there's all kinds of, um, you know, places on the spectrum for how much people struggle. But just I feel like th- there's a w- easy way to do a way better job of that. You know what I mean? It's like starts early on. Can you pinpoint a time in your life where you would you think you did the most growth? Or, like, was there a pivotal age, like your early 20s or your teens or late 20s, where you were like, I'm, I'm awaking into my adulthood? I honestly think when I first got on TV, even though I, you know, I felt like a pretty, uh, pretty well-adjusted person when I was doing, I, before I did TV stuff, I was a network administrator. I used to do, like, tech stuff, desktop support. Um, like an IT guy, an IT guy. Uh, and I was okay. I was okay at that. And I, and I, you know, felt fine as a, as just a person, but, um, I feel like I became way more three-dimensional when I, once I started getting on TV because I moved to LA, I was making decent money. And all of a sudden, instead of like being on a hamster wheel where you don't have time to think and grow, you're just like, wake up, get on a train, go into an office after you're like, you know, eight to 10 hour day, you know, just like you need to unwind, get a couple drinks, go home, go to bed, 
rinse, repeat. Right. Um, and there's not a lot of time for like expanding your mind and kind of just digging deep. And when I started moving, you know, once I moved to LA and I started having all this free time, I started really kind of exploring my mind a little bit more, thinking way more deeply, uh, thinking about philosophy, thinking about the universe, researching shit about like quantum physics and string theory. And like, you know, even though a lot of the stuff I read, it's just like a lot of stuff about life is just all guesses. Sure. But I just felt like uh, just asking so many more questions and kind of digging deeper, I felt like more of a complete person. We're, we're sort of moving backwards, but I'm interested to know that you know, here you are in your early twenties doing the tech job in, in mm. New York. Do you, at that point, are you sort of like, yeah, this is a good job and I'm making enough money. And, and as you said, it's sort of the hamster wheel. Was there a part of you that at times felt like, fuck, I wish I was doing something else. Yes. All and, the time. Uh, and that was a very pivotal moment, like <laughs> to, to like, really kind of like, uh, you know, have my brain light up with, where kind of like a warning being like, this feels weird. This feels like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. I feel like there should be something more. Had you done um, anything artistic up until that point? Um, that was right around the time I started. So I was super into movies and comedy, watching old school SNL, um, you know, just crazy movie buff, watching a lot of independent films. What'd you I, love? What were your go-tos? Well, I was really inspired a lot by uh, Kevin Smith, like seeing Clerks yeah. uh, and seeing people make movies for like, you know, thirty or $50,000 and just seeing like people who are not really actors acting shit. It just kind of was like, oh man, this, this seems appealing to me. And... um I started, uh, you know, even when I was working in tech stuff, I, I kind of felt like the creative buzz. So um, I was pretty good with computers. I made a website. Uh, like my first website was just like some GeoCity site where it said Andy Milanakis, child actor. And I just made a bunch of ridiculous faces and I took snapshots of it. And then... I intentionally, you know, made it grammatically like super incorrect, crazy spelling errors, just like it looked like uh, a four-year-old that got hit in the head with a brick was typing it, you know? Mm. And I was just like, this is a face that I could do in any kind of movie or TV show when I'm really scared. And then I would type in like a scenario of when I would be really scared. And it was just a bunch of snapshots of different faces showing off my acting. Right. Um and it was really stupid, but, you know, it was just like a little creative thing. Uh, and then uh, uh, my friend who, at the time who I met through the whole Kevin Smith universe of being a fan of, of that world and going to screenings and going to independent films, uh, Brian Lynch, who actually, he's like a really dope screenwriter. He wrote um, uh, Minions and Jesus. Hop and shit like that. Yeah, killing he, it. Yeah, he, he's killing it. And he, he basically saw that website and he was creating a, a website for his comic and he's like, I want different sections. So why don't you do uh, a section of my website? So basically took the idea of a picture and a caption and I made three pictures right. and three captions. So it'd be like kind a little, of a meme almost yeah, before yes. the meme. <laughs> yeah. Before <laughs> the meme. 
So I would take three pictures of whatever the story would be about, and each picture would have a little caption to tell a story. So it was like a photorealistic comic. I did a bunch of those, and then one of the ones I did after I did a whole handful of those was like a rap that I wrote, and I had a webcam at the time that had video capabilities. I know it's ancient now. <laughs> um, and I was like, this would be better as like a video because it's a rap. So I made that, and then I was like, I put that up. And I was just, I had my own section under his website, and I just went from comics to like starting to make really stupid videos. And this was all while I still had this job, you know what I mean? I was still working in IT. I never thought of it as a way to make money. It was just like a release. It was like, right. okay, I have this job. It feels Groundhog's Day. It feels kind of dead end. But I have this weird creative release that is fulfilling. And no expectation. Zero expectations. And then I did hundreds of little videos, really weird videos of myself, and it was just at a good time. It was before YouTube was out. And are you getting any feedback from, like, friends, family? Like, yo, this is pretty good. I was definitely getting feedback from, like, people on his message board and on the website. People would wait be like, oh, you put up a new video. But, you know, it wouldn't be, like, hundreds of comments. It would be maybe, like... 20 comments or something like that. Right. That's, um, I mean, that's early. When you're getting 20 comments, yeah. that's some real, those are real deal fans. Do any of them still follow you, I wonder? Uh, yeah, I mean, I get messages while, while I'm streaming on Twitch right now who are like, yo, I was a fan since Ice Cream Fantastic. That was like the name of my first like website shit. And he, and like people would mention like old videos from right. that I filmed like, you know, 14 years ago. So after I was doing that, web stuff for a while I kind of uh I asked a friend I was like yo I want I want to do something more you know than just making videos and stuff and uh so he recommended a comedy writing class and I was just like okay one day a week after work I just dipped to like go do some comedy writing I did that and that again gave me the boost of like holy shit this feels good I'm working, I'm doing my shit still, but I have something to look forward to. And then after that, I got recommended Upright Citizens Brigade. And then that's where I really fell in love with, uh, like... Performing. Performing and comedy. I was like, I was taking, you know, it went from one class a week to, like, now I'm doing a coach session with a small group and one class a week and going to see, like, shows after work, like, pretty much every day of the week. And then after going to see a show, we'd go to like the bar and like I'd right. meet like a hundred different people that are all kind of in the same scene. And at, at this point, did you like, because I remember this pivotal moment going from sixth grade to, I went to performing arts high school in New York. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went to a normal elementary school and I entered into performing arts high school and I was like, wow, like I found my people. Mm -hmm. Like these people are like me. All of a sudden I'm cool and I'm relevant because everyone around me is like a theater geek or a music nerd or some kind of performer. So were you like, I, I imagine they were much more your people than perhaps the the IT gang. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. were. But I was still super newbie. Like the people who were looked up to, the people who were on like the regular performing improv teams right. and the teachers and the coaches, I was like pleb level. Um, yeah, you were a scrub. I was scrub pleb level, like just taking classes and stuff. And then that kind of changed because when, um, uh, when I got discovered by Jimmy Kimmel, 
I was still pleb level at UCB. Right. I wasn't on, I wasn't really like on a big team and I wasn't like, you know, just the shit there. So then like, since everybody at UCB pretty much is doing this to like get into comedy and acting and stuff. Right. Like my stocks like kind <laughs> of changed overnight, you oh, know? Isn't that incredible? We have that in acting class too. Yeah. There's like the acting class superstars mm-hmm. where they're the teacher's pet and they just come in and crush it. And then yeah. all of a sudden someone gets like five episodes on CSI. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like the big swinging dick of the class. Yeah. And yeah. Like, oh man, this guy, like he got out. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> he got to play in the real world for a second. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a lot of people hitting me up like, yo, do you need writers for your show? Do you need this? Oh, well, first bet. it was Jimmy Kimmel Live for like a year and then like, Later, it turned into, like, getting my own show, but, like, it definitely, I mean, not everybody turned fake, but there are definitely a lot of people kind of, like, you know, being, like, On the sniffing around, like, oh, ooh, you got a show now. Okay, cool. Of course. Yeah. Was there anyone in your class at UCB that became big? Well, one of my teachers, Paul Shear, was, uh, like, one of my teachers, I... and a lot of people... Not necessarily in my class, but a lot of people at the time when I was doing UCB, it was at a time when, like, there are tons of people that are, like, on big movies and have their own shit now that kind of were, you know, plebish level back then. Like, right. Ed Helms, Aziz Ansari. Like, and these were so guys many... you knew? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, it's so interesting, too, when you hear about, like, you know, like Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell and then come out of Groundlings or, mm-hmm. you know, the Second City people. And, and now UCB has become sort of its own institution. Can you like point to anything in particular that really has served you that you learned from from being a student there? I got to say one thing that stands out and I have no idea if it would make if it would have made a difference. But <laughs> right. after I had like 100 videos online. I st- I kind of like stopped making as many videos because I was so involved in UCB, right? Which ultimately could have killed my opportunity to you know become like found by Jimmy Kimmel because he didn't find me through UCB. He found me through the videos I had online. Right. So since you know I went from making three videos a week to like one every few months. So that fizzling out the videos and doing UCB could have actually been the end of my possibilities. Yeah. Um. But when I did make the video that actually went viral, which is very fucking a very stupid video that's not really worth it, but they at always the time, are. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was called "The Super Bowl Is Gay," and I remember I was like, um, I bought this little fake guitar on like from some lady in Queens out of a shopping cart because I would always buy weird puppets and little like props for me to make videos because you know it makes it a little bit easier. A little inspiration. Content. Yeah. So. And I remember I was strumming this thing. I don't know how to play, and I just started singing this weird song, but I didn't. I didn't have any kind of oomph in it. Mm. So I remember UCB. The one thing they always taught me was commit to really commit. It doesn't matter what the joke is, but if you fully, fully commit to what you're putting out, that that's when it becomes really electric. So I remember kind of doing it and the first like one minute of doing the song, it just seemed kind of stale. 
And then I was like, in, in even vocally in the video, I was like, commit, commit, commit. Believe that the Super Bowl like, is gay. I was like, commit, commit. And I started freestyling a little bit. I'm like, commit crimes, commit blah, blah, blah. And then I started going fucking ham. And that's ultimately the video that kind of got me on TV and got me my start. So maybe, maybe if UCB didn't give me that big uh, commit note, maybe, <laughs> maybe you know. Maybe the Super Bowl wasn't, wouldn't have been gay. But also... Um, I think doing a lot of UCB uh, is cool for like just acting in general because, you know, you're not uh, reading scripts. You're completely like, you know, not really going for the joke. You're kind of just trying to make funny stuff happen just out of the reality of the scene. And I think doing those kinds of scenes like off the top of your head, improv style, when you actually go into an audition, it kind of instills some bit of like acting inside you that kind of helps you deliver lines a little bit more naturally, even though... Right then you're reading stuff off sides, you know. I once had to improvise with Wayne Brady. Oh, shit. The first time I ever improvised <laughs> for a charity improv event like a year and a half ago. And I'm just like, I can't fucking, my first time can't be with Wayne Brady. <laughs> like, I can't play catch with Eli Manning. Like, are you nuts? And of course, because he's so damn good, he made me better. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, but I literally was watching it. It's funny, I interviewed him for the pod. And his whole thing, and I asked him, I was like two, and he couldn't be a better guy, but I was like two, you know, like fledgling improvisation people, Yeah. if you could give them one note. And he said, unfortunately, it's something they've learned, but they don't live by it, which is you like that yes end. He's like, you must live by that shit. Yeah. And he's like, the second you go off in a thought to think about some bit that you've got recycled that you want to bring back up again, or you're trying to like compute the joke. He's like, shit has happened and it's leaving you behind. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, and I think that's, what's cool. And you don't negate the scene. Cause then it doesn't go anywhere. Right. If you add to it, you heighten it. Right. And he, I think it's cool too, because especially like in the eighties and nineties, I felt like it was the years of the stand up, mm-hmm. And so you'd see people like, you know, Roseanne or Tim Allen and like people would get these huge careers out of Seinfeld out of stand up careers. Stand up turning into sitcoms. Right. Yeah. And now I think people so much, you know, they watch Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig and Aziz and people who like come up from the UCBs and the groundlings. And I think now that's sort of the way in and it teaches you how to be collaborative and mm-hmm. work in a group. And you're you're essentially a great improv. You're writing a scene. You're just doing it on the spot. Yeah. But if it's great, it's as good as any written scene. Yeah, and also traditional sitcoms don't really work as well as they used to. Right. The, the whole laugh track sitcoms are kind of a little bit stale. Right. And sitcoms, stand-up comedians turn, turning into like stars of sitcoms makes sense because it's very zany punchline humor setup that punch. works for a setup and a laugh and a laugh track but the types of shows that are out now like the office where they have like that docu-series like not docu-series what do you call it yeah docu-series oh so, well, i guess single cam single cam when they like you know they talk to the camera and stuff that definitely comes off as like kind of like more of like an improv monologue right than some zany fucking punchlines, you know no i think you're right what, um, you grew up in the city in New York? I didn't. I actually grew up in Westchester. Okay. Uh, in Mount Kisco. I, in the suburbs. It's, yeah, it's always weird. I always tell a story. It's like the suburbs, but it was also really disgusting and ghetto. Right. Like, 
because there's so much of Westchester that's really rich and nice, and then there are like really lovely pockets of of ghettoness, of, right. of crack dealing, of like just police being called. Like it's weird, man. Yeah. But I had I I like when I look back at my childhood. I get so excited because it was it doesn't seem real. It was such like a movie. It was really? like a mini Grand way? Theft Auto. Right. Like I don't know, my best friend friend selling crack out of his apartment and like us just like smoking weed when we were like 14 and like going to Brooklyn with a crack dealer who would buy us all the Nintendo games and like this shit sounds like a joke, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it's, it sounds so fucking funny and it sounds like a joke, but me eating Chinese food at like my my best friend's house and then the lights cut off and like you know I'm living with my family I was young and I like oh the lights are off let me go to my apartment because it's a big apartment complex so I walk outside go to my apartment the next day I go see what's up with my boy I walk downstairs and he has no front door the FBI like battering rammed his door in and ransacked it and everybody got caught and put in jail and no. probation and shit so they cut the power you left I and left, then the FBI like, stormed oh, in yeah yeah you think they would have planned like that they wouldn't have allowed for people to leave <laughs> like the battering ram would have come in Maybe they as were like, the lights all right, went all right. off the lights went out or we're going in all right, oh, get this Andy little chubby out of there. white kid is out like <laughs> this little chubby white kid walked out uh, okay just wait for him to leave and then boom like, really I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Weird those, as like, fuck. Those mom- it's crazy, like, those moments of a misspent youth where you think about, like, wow, some crazy shit went around me, and for some reason, I survived. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, uh, uh, here's the thing, like, it, it was really crack-filled. Like, my friend cut, he cut tennis balls and put crack balls inside the tennis ball. Your and apartment just- building was? Like, what was crack-filled? Okay, so this is how this is how this area worked. It was um there were different levels, okay? One level was just like 40 apartments together in one big brick like all horizontal mode. Got then it. you walk outside and you go upstairs that just like kind of like goes upstairs to like a different level area. Then there's another bunch of like rows of apartments. Right. And this is all like a contained, like not complex. This is all like a complex apartment complex. And that was. And it's like pretty, uh, like low rent, like what's. Low rent, uh, super ghetto, a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah. So you were like in the ghetto pocket of the nice neighborhood. Yeah. Got you. Okay. And I feel like the East Coast is like that. Like, yeah, there's definitely some pockets. I mean, there are places all over the world where there's like super rich areas, and right next door, you could throw a fucking tennis ball to with a crack in file in it. You could throw <laughs> a tennis ball to like you know a fucking mud hut. Like, you know, it's weird. So you um, were like the good kid that liked to hang out with with the the bad kid. Well, I guess I was good when I started. I mean, <laughs> sure. I never smoked crack, but <laughs> I mean, I wasn't good in the sense of I was like. You know, smoking Newports at like fourteen, smoking weed. It's like a delicious doing... cigarette. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a menthol cigarette's like dessert, really. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing some bad shit, getting just completely fucking hammered, and my parents finding me in the shower with like covered in vomit and like completely like wet and stuff. What was your Are drink of choice? Should we bring these in? Uh, I <laughs> uh, I drank something that we called the formula. It was old English malt liquor, and we drank it down to the top of the label, and then we poured pina colada mix in. 
God bless. What the fuck did that taste like? Like a dream. That's like a that's like a project's mojito. Bro, I'm telling you, like that's where I have the love of hip hop and I don't regret anything. You know, obviously if things didn't turn out well, maybe I would, but right. I just had such a colorful childhood that like I don't know. I learned a lot about music. I learned a lot about different cultures and like yeah, it was really dark and fucking shitty also. Yes. But I don't know. I have such fond mem- memories of it looking back. Who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. You know, it's funny. I, I grew up in New York in the city and... I lived in Murray Hill for for a short time, and then I grew up mostly in Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a single mom. I was an only child, and my mom was incredible and worked hard. But sometimes we really struggled with money, and sometimes we had had some money. Yeah. And it was funny because similarly to you, like so much of my identity was in New York hip hop culture, mm-hmm. and I identified more with my friends who were black because, in my experience, they had a more similar life to me, like yeah. a single parent family or a single mm-hmm. parent home. And they too, uh, many of them were struggling in the way that I was. And yeah. so I had an easier time identifying with them as opposed to like my white friends who were going to private school on the Upper East Side, you know? Yeah. That's, that's pretty much the only reason why I probably didn't get my ass kicked in high school. Cause all my friends were hood as fuck. And like, <laughs> I wasn't part of the cool, you know, obviously the cool jocks and shit, but still, you know, the hood side of the school, you like, you know, not to fuck with that. So, like, I, I, I had a lot of people that had my back, which was probably good. What was it, like, Scarsdale High? No, I went to two different high schools because I moved halfway through. I went to Fox Lane and uh, John Jay. One's in Cross River. John Jay, yeah, yeah. And one's in Mount Kisco, I think. John Jay. Did Mike Rappaport go to John Jay? I think so. I feel like Because I met him up. a bunch of times, and I think we've talked about Westchester before. Yeah, I think he lived there for a bit. Yeah. And what's, what's the family dynamic like? Are, you, are your parents from New York, or did they immigrate So my, my father's a crazy Greek immigrant. He was born and raised on the island of Crete in Greece, wow. and he's a maniac, and I love him, and he, he pulls his teeth out with pliers, and... Uh, just he, for fun? When he gets sick, he doesn't go to the doctor. He just gets random antibiotics from his friends, and he puts grape jelly on pizza crust, and God he bless. P- he picks up, like, 900-pound stainless steel refrigerators on his back, and he's a complete maniac. And the term Cretan is a guy from Crete. And really? He's an actual Cretan, and I'm 50% Cretan. Sounds, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a dream. Yeah. Oh my God. Where is he still in New York? Uh, he's still in New York. Yeah. You ever? Does he ever come out to LA to visit you? Uh, he did once in the last like twelve years, but I I go to New York a lot, so I see him. And then 
I go to Greece with him a lot. Last summer I went to Greece with him. When you go to Greece with him, does he make more sense? Like, are you like, oh yeah, I see. Yeah, now. everything kind of makes more sense in a, in a way. It's it's really eerie, and I fucking love it. Like I. I get so happy even thinking about it. You're just up in the mountains. It's so fucking serene. Everybody walking around. There's like 95-year-olds walking donkeys up hills, uphill. Right. And, uh, you know, you walk to you walk like a mile and a half around this windy road. Every single, every like three feet, there there's like a statue of the Virgin Mary for when a car went off the fucking cliff. Um, <laughs> right. You go to this little cafe neo and you drink moonshine with like eighty-five year olds and like people are playing like some string instruments. Is moonshine uzo? No, uzo is like this licorice type liquor. Gotcha. Uh, the moonshine they make there—it's not as strong as regular moonshine, but it's called tikudia, or the easy way to pronounce it is raki. And they basically take the grapes after they make the wine and they make a triple distilled clear alcohol from it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, to me, it's like the best tasting and best feeling alcohol on the planet. Like Take see, the- see this, like, uh, what is it? One quart water bottle. Yeah. I-, I could drink a whole one of those and be not hung over the next day. Like it's really the flavor is so amazing. Um, I shipped 50 pounds of it here on a boat. It took a month to get to me cause I had to go through customs and shit, but, um, strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's really cool. Uh, it's really insane, and it just feels like when you're there, it feels like, am I in the year 1600? Right. There there are clothes lines with, like, clothes drying. My aunt has chickens and goats, and she's, like, I wake up, and she's, like, squeezing oranges to make me orange juice and, like, spends three and a half hours to make lunch for everybody. Like, it's, there's something so fucking awesome about it. <laughs> oh, it sounds awesome. Yeah. I, do you find that, like... It, you know, I find with growing up Jewish how there was this thing to me where I sort of went against it as a teen because there was nothing cool about being Jewish. Like, mm-hmm. there was no athletes that I knew that were Jews. And, you know, my understanding of it was, you know, pushy, you know, annoying, like, uh, the moms at Hebrew you school. You felt insecure about the bad traits that would go along in stereotypes? Yes, exactly. And then, but now as I get older and I'm 31 and I'm married and eventually have kids and stuff, I find myself embracing it more than ever. And it's mm-hmm. become, you know, a shorthand that I have with other Jewish people when I meet, like, cause yeah. we all have the same mom or the same upbringing or something. Mm-hmm. So have you, has sort of your Greekness revealed itself more as you've gotten older or it's always been a part of you? I definitely became like more proud of it, I think. I, right. I don't think I was really that embarrassed about it because, you know, being Greek is not like, when you go to school, it's not like something so on the forefront. It's kind of a little bit removed, right? Right. Like being Jewish is cool. Like maybe what, 30, 40 percent of the people in your uh, school are Jewish or uh, 30% are black. It's like very bold and on the forefront when you talk to your friends. Yes. Being like, oh, I'm half Greek is kind of like more like on the dialed down scale. Yeah, it's but, a subsidy. It's a yeah, subsection. It's, it's, it's a little, yeah, it's a little bit more, uh, what do you call it? I guess, rare. I guess vague or more rare. But, um, so that wasn't really a thing that I was kind of ashamed of, but when I did go to the village when I was younger, because I've been going to Greece forever, 
when I go to the village, I would go for whole summers. I would go for like three months, ah. two and a half, three months. And being a young kid in the village, you don't really look at the serenity. You're like, why am I shitting in a hole in an outhouse? Yeah, why am I sleeping on on a, a board? Where's the PlayStation? Yeah, like, why do I have to walk a mile to get an ice cream cone, and that's the only thing to do for 20 miles? Why do I have to sit on a bus uh, with a 90-year-old bus driver driving these narrow roads where you look down out of the window and it just you just look straight down to your impending doom all those things didn't really seem appealing as a as a child they were they were frustrating and it was kind of like fuck man this sucks <laughs> right and then when you get older you're like oh wow yeah you appreciate it air. look at the fucking mountains eat the cheese yeah <laughs> just like <laughs> so much greater eat drink the alcohol the magic potion that doesn't give you hangovers yeah i think if you i think what you're trying to say is if you want to be a successful alcoholic move to greece i mean all i could say is this i think alcohol is really horrible in a lot of ways and like i always try to take long breaks and kind of like i have really fucked up hangovers that really just make me bummed and make me want to just not drink question your existence but when i'm in greece you gotta think about the quality of life what they eat on a daily basis, the level of stress, and how are they 95 drinking and smoking three packs a day? How? How does that work? I want to be 95 and drinking and smoking three packs a day. Yeah, how does that work? What, um, is, <laughs> is Mykonos overhyped? Or not Mykonos. Is Santorini? Santorini. Is Santorini overhyped? The only way Santorini is overhyped is if you go there for more than like four nights. Because there's nothing to do. You're limiting your experience to like your exposure to real Greek culture. Right. You're going to see a million, like not even a million, small. You'll see a bunch of tourists. Everybody speaks English. The beaches are beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. But you cannot dive deep into Greek culture and Santorini. Right. Do you, you've traveled a lot. Yeah, lately I've been traveling a lot more, yeah. Do you, and you travel because of the Twitch stuff? I travel because I love it. Yeah. But the Twitch stuff has kind of enabled me to even travel, travel more and more and more and like inspired me to travel more and more because now that I've been putting a lot of effort into this live streaming thing, I'm kind of like, well, walking around LA every day not really that appealing, but if I do that for the next month and try to make it interesting, and then I keep telling everybody that, like, yeah, well, I'm going to be in L.A. for the next month, but don't worry. I'm about to hop on a fucking plane and be in Japan for three weeks. Right. Then it's, like, way more exciting for me and for the viewers, you know? Now, talk about that. So, basically, and and I'll be, I'll play the part of the audience where I don't, I mean, I know Twitch and I follow you, so I know a lot of your streaming, but mm -hmm. sort of, I'd love to know more about like, you're basically in, in theory, doing long streaming of, of your life, right? Yeah. The IRL in real mm -hmm. life. And how did that come about? How were you exposed to that? It was weird. I, um, when I first bought a PlayStation four, there's a, a share button on the controller. Yeah. And you know, from right when PS4 came out, I pressed the button and it said Twitch. And I was like, what the fuck is Twitch? And then 
I clicked on it. It made me get an account, and then I saw a left panel with the chat room, and I'm like, I've always liked games, but I've always hated playing games alone. And the fact that you can, like, now press a share button and share it and have other people watch you play games, I was fascinated by that. Right. So I started, like, you know, be I, you know, I became a fan. I started like going to the website. I started looking at it, and I was like, "Oh, this shit is really cool." Did you have people that you followed that you like looked forward to watching? At the beginning, not really. I just kind of dabbled. It was new. It was new technology in my head that I was like, "Oh shit, people are playing games and people are watching. That's cool." And um, I, so I started watching a little bit, and then I started sh- screaming a little bit, and I advertised it on my on my. Um, Twitter, you know, I'd have like 30, 50 people, whatever. And instantly I got told by the chat room, like, why are you streaming on a PC, a PS4? Consoles are garbage. (laughs) You need a PC. And I was like, I do. I I knew about PCs and gaming PCs. Obviously I have like a past with computers, but I'm like, What's the big deal if I want to play a game on my console yeah, you're or just a PC? Regular su- old gamer. Yeah, but supposedly, like you know, ninety percent of people who are streaming on Twitch are like playing PC games. Right. You got to get that big engine behind it. Yeah. So I kind of got goaded into like getting a PC, and I was like, all right, but I never took it seriously because I was not that much of a gamer. So I would play some games. I found some games that I liked, but also I would stream for a couple of weeks. And then I just wouldn't stream at all for six months in a row. It was not like, I wasn't like, yo, Twitch is my shit. Right. Super hobby mode, you know? And when did it make the turn to where you were like, this <laughs> this is selling, this is working? Okay, and then, so then I see uh, a couple things happened. A few things happened. My friend Reckful, who at the time I learned about because people are like, yo, this guy, he's a really big streamer. Every time he wins at this game, World of Warcraft, he plays your three loco song we are farmers right and i was like oh that's cool so i went in his chat and i was like hey what's up man thanks for playing my song we kind of hit it off became friends we took a trip to vegas together i you know i became friends with him uh and then i saw him playing pokemon go and this was the first time i saw someone streaming outside you know right and uh and in I was the like, wild yeah i was like how the hell are you doing that and he goes oh there's you know this app he told me what app to get but they didn't have an IRL section yet. They just kind of like, you know, it was still a game because it was Pokemon Go. So I got this new app. I kind of got a little sparkle in my eye. I'm like, oh, people are outside in the real world, sh- world streaming. This is way more appealing than video games to me. Right. And then I started watching a Korean couple called uh, EXBC. And they're kind of out doing lifestyle travel videos because they're under like the food category before IRL came out. Right. Um, and how much time are they spending streaming per day? I would say a lot of their streams are, you know, maybe anywhere between like six and 10 hours. That's, I mean, that's a full work day. Yeah. And they, li- so they basically live their life in the public eye. Pretty much. I mean, what yeah. are their metrics like? Like how many people are watching them? I would say anywhere between like 1,500 and 3,000. Okay. So like, a, I mean, not an insane amount. Not an insane amount, but for con- those are concurrent viewers. And if you think about concurrent viewers, if you have 2,000 people watching you uh, over the course of an uh, eight-hour stream, that means there was probably a total of like 
20,000 because people gotcha. come in and out, in and out, in and out. But some people stay for the 10 hours. Some people stay for the whole thing, yeah. What do you think the fascination is with being the observer in that way? There, this is one thing that I really like about IRL. As much as technology changes, there's no way, there's no possible way to make platform like this more real than it already is. You have a camera or a phone and you're turning it on and whatever they see is happening. There's no editing, there's no music, there's no censoring. And I don't care if it's a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, you can't get more real than that. The the peak of reality is like here because what's what you can't add a layer of reality to that. You know what I mean? Right. You can get better technology, better cameras, like you know, picture in picture. You could do so many things with the technology, but you can't get more real than having a camera in front of your face and like people watching you live your life. Oh, I've never been to Korea. Who the hell are these guys? They're kind of funny. They're entertaining. You live vicariously through them, and it's the most real way ever. It's not a manufactured show where there's edits and there's music and there's censored shit. When fucked up shit goes down, you see it. When when fucked up shit is said, you hear it. But do you, like, you're a natural performer, and, mm-hmm. and even, like, when we're bullshitting, like, I, I always know... And like every great comedian I know, I feel like I'll see you kind of go into like a shtick or a bit because we that's what we're all chasing, right? The yeah. great bit, the great joke. But I imagine when you're doing a three, four, five hour stream, like after the first 20 minutes, it must get ex- exhausting. Like you really have to be yourself because you can't keep up a bit, right? I don't, I don't personally uh, – well, there are, two, there are two ways of it, so – uh, there are two. There are two answers I have. One is the only th- time I'm really performing is like in little outbursts. Sure. So I'll walk around Tokyo, and I'll really just talk about my experience. I'll go eat some cool stuff. I'll go get a little bit saucy and act a little wild because I'm drunk. Sure. I'll go into like crazy weird outbursts to make the chat room laugh. But that's who I am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe if. I didn't have an audience watching. I might have not humped the oversized Snoopy that's that's outside of a store. I'm sad. But maybe to hear I would have. I think you would have. <laughs> but um, yeah. So like, there are little outbursts that kind of like are in the category of like being a little extra for the audience, but it doesn't feel like some forced act where I'm just a hundred percent different. Right. Uh, and then the other answer is there are some times where just because I've been doing it for so long that I want it to be 100% different because I think, you know, too much of the same thing gets a little boring. So I started doing IRL streams that are characters where I play a completely different character for the whole thing and never break. And that's just... For hours at times. For hours. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's true performance art, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I wouldn't give myself the credit of everything that I do uh, character-wise being amazing. So (laughs) I will be humble enough to say, you know, it's not some like you're watching some insane, brilliant performance. But I do do stay in character, and I do kind of want to mix it up. Uh, uh, So I just kind of been exploring that a little bit. Have you ever had a temptation to turn the camera on 
during a breakup or like some real emotional moment in your life where you're like, are you tempted? I mean, yeah, I have. I mean, I've had a couple. Okay. I've had a couple situations where it was like the camera was already on. So it wasn't, it wasn't, should I turn it on? It was, should I turn it off? Right. You know, like I was having this girl that I was hanging out with, I was like having a conversation with her about like, you know, people watching and you know, what their expectations are for the stream and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, well, we have a couple options. I mean, we could just not listen to whatever they're saying and not give a fuck. Or we could just turn turn it off. And I was just telling her, uh, I was just telling her about like you know taking deep breaths and like kind of like zoning out a little bit and you know thinking about things before you make choices. So she goes, I think we should take a deep breath and think about it. Mm. So I, we did a little Zen deep breath, think about it, shit. And then I just like turned the power off, like and just okay. like it, it kind of like. It seemed like scripted, but it was just natural and it just kind of happened. And like, but like everybody in the chat right after I turned it off, like the chat room was scrolling for fucking half an hour, being like, <laughs> oh, better love story than Twilight and shit like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're losing their minds. Yeah. Um, has a first kiss ever been like memorial or immortalized on oh, Twitch? Many. Really? Yeah, yeah, many. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what about anything more? Well, you can't really, you actually, they're actually kind of a little bit on the PG side. Ah, gotcha. So, I mean, if you create a new website where I could get head while right. streaming, you know, maybe you can get me away from Twitch, but you got to pay me the extra money for that. Got you. No problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, also uh, super awkward situations. Like I, I've go back to this one. I've told the story before, but like I was just hammered at this fucking bar in San Francisco and I was just. I was, like, making out with this girl for, like, fucking 40 minutes. And then, like, I just look up this dude standing over me. And she goes, oh, Andy, I want to introduce you to my boyfriend. Amazing. And I was like, what do you think the chat room's reaction to that was? So, yeah, some spicy shit happens sometimes. (laughs) Wait. Uh, as you're making out, where is the the camera, the phone? Is it on the tripod? It's on a tripod, just at the bar. So you got to. I mean, you're carrying a a tool belt worth of equipment, right? More than that now. Now I have a backpack with like four wireless routers and a a, a live view um, hardware that like it basically takes four different mobile signals and turns it into one super signal. Wow. Uh, so I have a whole backpack with batteries, uh, mobile routers, other hardware. It's like it's a bigger setup, but it it's way less frustrating because the mobile internet in North America just sucks. You walk around with a phone. And it'll be like, people will be like, oh, it's lagging, or oh, the fucking, the stream's down, and you lose your stream, and you have to restart it. There's there's so many connection issues when you just stream with a phone, and now that I have this crazy setup, it's like, the quality is so much better. Yeah, you're a human hotspot. Yeah. Do you ever hook up that's your what, boys? That's what my poor name is. <laughs> yeah. The human hotspot. I like that. Do you ever hook your boys up? Like, if someone doesn't have good signal, you'd be like, just connect to me. I can't because I mean I need that connection. Right. I, mean, I need it. I need it for like I, I'll put in like seven twenty sixty frames and it like it looks pretty nice and juicy. Wow. But I need all those connections like hooked up to like my main shit. And you've got the uh, steady cam arm. 
Well, the gimbal. I have the gimbal when I use a phone, but now with this new setup, I don't have to because I use this Sony action cam. Wow. And it's super stable and it's a really wide angle lens. So I don't really have to use a steady cam anymore. And do you like. I, and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but how do you make money from it? Do people are people gifting you through the site? There's there are really a uh, few ways. Okay, so people subscribe to you. You don't have to subscribe to watch, but if you subscribe, you pay five dollars a month. Gotcha. So then you, if you think about that, and you know, Twitch takes a certain cut, but you think about that times like you know, fifteen hundred people or two thousand people that adds up, right? Right. Then there's ads on your VODs, which are like people are like, oh, I didn't get to see your stream, so I'm going to watch your video on demand. You know, there are ads on that. You get paid for those ads. Right. Um, and then, yeah, another big one is people donate. And when you have a chat room with a few thousand people going like that and scrolling, a lot of people want you to answer exactly what you, what they say. So, you know, they could donate as little as $3 with a message and it will come up with like a little sound effect and an image saying the person's name and, hey, Andy, blah, 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 this is what I want to ask you. Or they might make a comment about what's going on. And so those little 3 to $5 over the course of eight hours add up to a lot of money. But also on top of that, sometimes you have some big dogs in there who are okay. like, fuck big $3. Spenders. I'm going to send you like a thousand or I'm going to send you 500. Has that happened? Shout out to a seven. <laughs> <Yo, laughs> my, my biggest day was this guy sent me 14 K in one night. Are you kidding me? And I what did he want me. from you? He wanted nothing. Do you he have just... to show your nipple? No, no, come on. No, I offered that. I mean, nothing. Um, he, what did he get? He just, you know, he just, he has some dough and he, he likes a few streamers and he supports and he's just like, yo, you know, here you go. Much he respect. Also, well, also while I got a haircut, he sent a thousand dollars just to tip the hair salon girl. Did you, and, and then what'd you do? Venmo her or something? Uh, I Venmoed her 800 and I gave her a couple hundred in cash. Wow. Um, and then there's a guy where I was just having a conversation my first like month streaming IRL. I was having a conversation with my friends. They were asking me like, how do you make money? What's, what's the deal? And I was explaining how like, yeah, you know, some people send you three and five bucks and it adds up, but also sometimes people send you crazy big amounts. And I was just explaining it to them. And as I was explaining it to them, someone sent me 5,000 in a single donation. It's like, here you go. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met these people that that hit you up big time before? Like, have you ever put a face to the guy that's giving well, you five? Well, the guy grand? who gave me the five k is uh, he plays for the L.A. Dodgers. You're kidding! I swear to God, Matt Kemp. Who is this? <laughs> I don't want to out him out. Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> and, uh, wow! First of all, this is fascinating. So. When these people are are donating the money, have you ever gotten weird requests? Well, not crazy, but like, uh, you know, like just for instance, I did the same thing to my friend, but my friend saw me hanging out with this girl and he sent me $100 and goes, here's $100 for you to kiss her. And I was like, fuck, fine. <laughs> but that, that shit gets kind of cringy though. I've been trying to tone down on that because like I was just in Japan and like, I was starting to get a little saucy, and I like, I made out with this girl at a bar, but like I, I turned the camera off me. Right. And, like, the chat room doesn't like that. 
But well, I imagine. But um, I kind of was like, oh, this this is gonna be better if I, you know, do that. What if you met a girl that was like, I don't want you to twitch anymore? <sighs> I mean. I'm going to be like, are you going to be my sugar mama? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, give me a fucking, give me a couple mil and I'll quit for good. Do you enjoy it? I really do enjoy it. Um, there are things that, just to be completely honest, there are things that I don't enjoy. Like any job. Well, yeah. There are a lot of things I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy walking around LA and just, my stream becomes taking selfies with people and shit like that. I'm like, that's not really fun content for me. Because it does draw attention to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and I, I know that from vlogging, like when I've had my camera on me before, yeah. and it's definitely like, ah, oh, I'm being a bit of a beacon right now. Like, I'm yeah, attracting. it's not only that I'm taking selfies, but since it's live and I can't edit it, that's what they're watching for two hours is me taking right. pictures with people when I could be like doing some funny shit with strangers that don't know me, you know? Um, so that kind of gets in the way and is annoying, uh, at least in America. Do people hassle you like because they... Does it open you up for people to want to take advantage in that way? Because they know that they'll be on your stream if oh, they yeah. give you a hard time? Yeah, people give me a hard time or like they shout themselves out or like they're just like really do assholey things. <laughs> right. Um, Anything in particular where you were like, dude, you're fucking my shit up here. Like I'm just trying to make some good content. Yeah, people like doing shit that could ban me. I mean, girls taking their tits out, like... The nerve. I know. I mean, if the camera was off, I'd be cool with it. But <laughs> Sure. But, um, yeah, it's really... can be a really annoying. And also, in order to kind of keep yourself kind of in a semi-popular, like, zone, you have to really put in a lot of hours. And some of those hours might be a little forced when I'm, like, walking around L.A. I'm kind of like, well, I know I'm kind of working for something that's going to potentially be really big in the future. So I'm kind of putting in the work and grinding now. But, like, when I'm really not in the mood being like, oh, well, I'm going to walk around Hollywood for six hours right. just because I don't want to take a day off. Because if I take a day off or if I take two days off, uh, you know, you lose, lose your you lose subscribers, you lose momentum, you can lose viewers. So the that's the downfall of is like how consistent you have to be. You have to be really consistent and put in a lot of hours and you know, easily you should be doing six days a week. Really? Yeah. And six days, what's the minimum? Three hours, four hours? I would say the minimum should be like four hours, but uh I I was just saying on stream the other day, I did like a maybe seven and a half hour stream. I felt good about that. When I do six hours plus, if there was like good content, I feel really good about it. Four hours, I feel like, oh, sorry for the short stream. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, I, but, you know, I guess no one apologizes for having to go work at Wells Fargo for nine hours. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's your day. It's and your when, work day. And, and some of those days are not that appealing when I'm walking around L.A., but, like, the fact that I get to go on a plane and go chill in Tokyo for a fucking month, maybe I have a, a camera in front of my face, but the fact that it's m not only paying for it, but more than paying for it. If I leave Tokyo, I had a great vacation. I spent a month there. It paid for my flights, my hotel, and I made money on top of it. Then I'm like, all right, well, this was worth it, you know? Right. What where's your favorite place that you've ever been besides like my biased answer of like in Crete in Greece where, where I kind of 
in the summers grew up because my father, I would say Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Does it, is that because it, it also, I would imagine that it supports someone who is streaming and sort of living their life in front of the camera a little bit. Like I, I yeah. imagine they eat it up. Yeah. It's, it's usually pretty easy to stream in Tokyo. Um, people are respectful. People are very, very respectful. I like the culture. I like the people. I like, I like the food. And I also, I just look at Tokyo like a dreamland. It feels like if you combine New York City with a lucid dream, it would be Tokyo. It's just so weird and crazy in a good way that you're, it's just like so stimulating and polarizing. And I saw you tweeting about Bourdain. Oh, yeah. And you made it your banner on Twitter. So mm -hmm. did you know him? Not really well, no. I was he was kind of like my hero, but I I, uh, I met him a couple times briefly. One of them was one of my favorite stories when I was like on an airplane and like he would tweet. He, I got to ten thousand feet. I hooked up my Wi-Fi and like I've tweeted him in the past of places I went to like go and be like, yo, I went to Paris to this crazy place and I got that veal chop that you recommended and he would respond to me here and there, you know? And was it um, always great? Like his recommendations? Yeah, it was usually really, really great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so when I got to 10,000 feet on this Virgin American flight that I wasn't supposed to be on, I, I changed it to a day later from New York to LA and I had to get an upgrade to first class so it was a, it was like a day later, and and I had to get some upgrade to first class, and then I. What sat is had to get? Well, like I had a regular ticket. Okay. And with Virgin America, I don't know if they still do it, but you basically the day of the you day can, of for like two hundred bucks. Yeah, if you go on the website like six hours before the flight. If it was still um, if there's open. available, you get like a cheaper upgrade to first class. So I had a regular ticket, and I was like, "Fuck, I gotta try to get," because I, you know, I was always like searching for like that. Because we fancy, Andy. Yeah, we get fancy. So like, why I, not? So I did that. I so I got the upgrade a day later, in the air, ten thousand feet. Turn on my phone. Turn on my Wi-Fi, and I get a tweet from Bourdain, and the tweet just said, "Are you gonna say hello or what?" And I was like does he mean that I didn't tweet him lately any food pics or something? I didn't get it at first. Then all of a sudden it hit me, and I was like, this motherfucker is on my flight. Wow. And I looked to my right, and he's sitting right there. No. <laughs> he's sitting like one aisle down. And no like, way. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, dude, he's like, I thought it was you. I thought that was you. And then I, I tweeted him some silly shit back and forth, and I, and I just went to him. He was with his wife and kid at the time, and I was like... I go, I'm not going to bother you this whole flight as long as we can take a pic when, when we get off. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So uh, we did. And, yeah, I don't really – I didn't really know him well. I just got – luckily, I got to meet him a couple times. I, I know this sounds like trite, but I feel like none of us knew him well. And yeah. yet – and you had much more – I had no relationship with him. And yet I had a similar, like – like, he was my friend. Like, I traveled with him. I got that from a lot of people. A lot of people sent me messages feeling like this one hurt. Yes. This one hurt way more than I was hurting from hearing. You know, obviously, a human being is a human being. But, like, just the way you view a person, a lot of people hit me up saying that I can't believe someone I didn't know hurt me so much. But this one really hurt. 
Yeah. And it was so interesting too, because it felt like he had really come into fame and success at an older, I mean, in his forties, which usually, you know, people start hitting in your twenties and thirties. And so I don't know. Sorry to interrupt. I didn't know. I'm not looking at my Twitter for only a reason for this podcast, but I don't know. I tweeted one of his quotes. Yeah. Uh, let me find it. It has a, everything to do with what you just said about coming into fame late. I'm ready. Okay. Let's see if I can find it. By the way, everyone, Andy's wearing like a sharp bape sweatshirt that i'm jealous of that i want i bought i actually bought it in tokyo respect uh nigo designed this one do you know nigo uh no oh cool it says like a bathing ape in lukewarm water or something that's sharp uh, and instead of the shark it's got fish eyeballs on the side it's beautiful andy <laughs> is actually modeling it for me and it's everything you could imagine and more <laughs> is it as expensive in tokyo as it is here it's actually a little bit cheaper i bet it's actually a little bit cheaper. That's that hip-hop culture, man. That's yeah. that shit. Growing up, I used to wait outside the store on Green Street yeah. for the new drops on Saturday morning. I used to go there all the time, too. That's when I started making my first real money. When I was, Fuck Not real yeah. money, but when I was doing MTV, any waking moment I had to, like, when the store was open. Oh, my God. I would just dip to buy, like, Bathing Apes. I started out with just sneakers. Yeah, and then you um, got to get the gear. And then I got the gear. And okay. they had... BBC shit too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So this is what his quote was when you we were talking about late fame. He goes, I should have died in my 20s. I became successful in my 40s. I became a dad in my 50s. Uh, I feel like I've stolen a car, a really nice car, and I keep looking in the rear view mirror for flashing lights. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you just what don't. What the fuck? <laughs> what? The the last time I DM'd Asa Akira was four years ago. I have it in my DMs right now. We just mentioned David Cho and Asa Akira today, and she just DM'd me like less than an hour ago. Have you had sex with a lot of porn stars? <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Well, how how about this? I have not had sex with Asa Akira. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my man. I have not. She's a really interesting personality. Yeah, yeah, I like her. She's cool. She's she's actually smart. Uh, so to that respect, and and we don't have to harbor on it, but are there, have you had cool experiences being who you are? And like, is there anyone in particular other, you know, obviously you got to meet people like Bourdain, but are there other people in particular where you were like, you are blowing my mind right now? Like, I can't believe. Well, I heard the story about you making out with the Duff sisters. Oh, no, no, no <laughs> We don't no. have to talk about that. <laughs> oh, man. That was just some fun shit. That wasn't some, like, super sexy shit. It was just, like, fun. Just random shit. Yeah, sure. We all have fun in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> I smoked weed with Quentin Tarantino. That was Fuck. <laughs> awesome. That was pretty good. And I'm pretty sure we smoked it out of, like, a Pepsi can because we didn't have uh, any bowl or rolling paper. God bless. So I think, I think we... I don't know if I did or he did it. Maybe I did it, but we kind of bent the can and poked holes, and I think we smoked it through a can. Old school. And uh, another you guys one. Of talk my f- about. Uh, just bullshit? random shit. I definitely didn't ask him about his movies or you anything. You can't, right? Yeah, like yeah. in that scenario. Nah, I, I just I feel like that's the wrong move. 
I feel like I met Howard Stern and I'm mm-hmm. like a sick fan of his. And because I listen to him every day, I felt like, oh, I want to ask him about like his art yeah. or like about some of his friends. But I'm like, fuck, everybody must ask him about yeah. that, right? You I don't try want- not to go for the the main, the obvious. But uh, another one of my favorite stories that I tell a lot for like blowing my mind Hollywood stories is when I was at a steakhouse in uh, Beverly Hills and... Mastro's? I was at Mastro's. Okay. Yeah. Even though, shout out to Cut. I like. I think Cut is better. Yo, Cut is that Wolfgang shit. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Cut. Cut is delicious. Yeah, Cut's great. Even though last time I went to Cut, Wolfgang Puck was there. I took a picture with him, and I oh. also sent my steak back. That's amazing. And he was like, "What? What do you mean, Andy doesn't like steak?" Okay, so here's the thing. I'm. Never, ever, ever the type of guy who sends shit back. Okay. They put a wrong sauce on my thing, whatever. Push it off. They put the wrong thing on a sandwich, take it off. My meal's not that great. Okay, whatever. Right. I don't, I'm not that guy that sends shit back. I hate that guy. Got you. When a $45 steak is supposed to be medium rare and it's well done, you made a complete mistake where I just won't eat this. So right. I send it back. Yeah, fuck yeah. And it and wasn't he, Wolfgang who cooked it. One of his pleb chefs kind of... Maybe he was like checking his fucking Snapchat while uh, my shit overcooked. Right, but, he um, was checking his, his Twitch streams. <laughs> but so yeah, I sent it back. Then it came back. You know, a new one came back and it was great. Respect. But um, so yeah, I was at Mastro's and the most shy tap on my shoulder I've ever felt was just like, Hey, I don't want to bother you at dinner, Andy. He kind of approached me like he was a fan. It was like such a soft, hey, Andy, don't want to really bother you at dinner. I turn around and it's Dr. Dre. No. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, hey, man, yo, my son really loves you. Would you mind calling him on the phone? And I was like, yeah, man, no problem. Whatever you want, Dr. Dre. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. That was a big one for me. That's that was big. That especially was, as a hip-hop head. No, that like, was my childhood. I would go into fucking, even from like grade school on, like whatever, um, constantly playing NWA. Like constantly. Not just like, oh yeah, Dre's a hip-hop legend. No, I wore out my NWA fucking tapes. Like right. I, would, I would play that shit nonstop. No, the, he is royalty. And I feel like too, he's... He's become more than just rap and more than just hip hop. Yeah, I mean, he's he was the first hip hop uh, artist to make a billion, I think. Yeah, well, those beats, beats, beats headphones are like, yeah. I mean, when you when you come up with something like that, you're like, dope. I've made Mm -hmm. my I've made my mark. I suppose I'll sell it to Apple for four billion (laughs) dollars. Yeah. Oh my God, Um, Tarantino and Dre. That's good stories. Yeah. And Kimmel's been really good to you, right? He's very loyal. Um, I got really lucky. He's such a good dude. I've met yeah. him a few times. Yeah, yeah. I got really lucky because, I mean, think about this. Anybody could have found me when I was doing this shit. Right. But I got found by, like, a really powerful guy in Hollywood that also has, like, a really big heart and is not a fake fuck. It's How so rare is that? I don't know if it's, like, serendipity or what, but, like, that's so rare. And, like... At the time where I was about to sign a contract with ABC, I kind of had a meeting with Ashton Kutcher, and he was trying to develop shit with me. Didn't really love him. Right. Uh, Didn't really get good vibes. And I kind of like, you know, he was kind of trying to sway me a little bit, trying to sell himself, being like, well, Kimmel has, you know, shows that are not even 
that's successful right now. I have three successful shows, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, just go with your heart. And I was like, I did. I went with my heart. And I was like, fuck this guy. Kimmel's the man. He he found me. And he also didn't try to put me in some weird, like, negative bidding war, you know? Well, to that, and it's what we were talking about early on, too. Like, Kimmel's one of us. You yeah. know, like, he's a dude. He's, like, one of us who, a guy from from the neighborhood who got successful. Mm-hmm. And so he pays it forward. And, and I, I was on his show early on and he couldn't have been nicer. And then I remember Stamos invited me to one of the craziest parties ever because we were shooting the pilot for this show we made together, Grandfathered. Mm-hmm. And he was like, and he knew I'm a huge Howard Stern fan and obviously Jimmy's really close with him. And he's like, you know, it's, I know it's Passover on Friday. What, what are you doing for Passover? Like something Jewish? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I, I don't know. He's like, because I might have something better. And I was like, what? And he's like, you know, Kimmel's going to have a couple people over to his house for a dinner party. Howard's going to be there. Would you like to be my plus one? And I was like, fuck, no. I was like, <laughs> I don't. But of course, yes, I do. But I have no business at a party like that. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'm probably blowing up the spot and I'll never get invited to anything like that again. But it wasn't looking good anyway. I like uh-huh. walk in and it's Howard and Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston and <laughs> Amy Schumer and and just like one famous person. Star-studded. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Sia and Zach Braff and all these people. And I'm like, I do not make sense here. <laughs> and while everyone was very nice and lovely, like the one person who came up to me was like, Josh, how you doing, man? Kimmel actually walked up to me and was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I I don't know, Jimmy. And he's like, no, it's great, but like random. And I was like, tell me about it. Uh And like we sat and for like half an hour with John, but like chopped it up, talked about like new stuff that he was working on and just life. And I was like, yeah, like I get like you're you're a good dude like that. I would I would know from growing up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So also Greek. Who? Kimmel or Stamos? No, Stamos. Stamos is a very famous Greek. Yeah. Well, I well, mean, yeah, you, you said Jimmy said that last part to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, unless you want to talk about any other porn stars who you may or may not have slept with, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> you've done a great job. I'm here. not really into porn stars. Oh, well, I think that's for the best. I mean, the great Tupac said it the best. I don't want it if it's that easy. Well done. <laughs> I like to end every one of my pods. I love to end all my pods with a uh, with a quote from from Mister Mister Shakur. Yeah, even though New York, we got a shout out to Biggie though too. Well, can you end it on a Biggie quote then? I got seven Mac Elevens, about eight thirty eights, nine nines, ten Mac tens. The shit never ends. You can't touch my riches, even if you had MC Hammer and then three fifty seven bitches. Biggie Smalls, the millionaire, the mansion, the yacht. Oh, these guys are Snapchatting me right now. What's Respect. up? <laughs> we got some we got some people Snapchatting us outside of the window. We're in this uh little business center area of my apartment building. <laughs> it's a lovely business lounge. Yeah, I'm glad I thought of this because my like I said, my place is really fucking echoey and um this is like ten times better. Yeah, this is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, thank you. Yeah, dude, thanks. That was great. Yeah. I liked having some like uh, a real talk with you, you know. Yeah, we got to dig in. Yeah, dig in. Dig deep, baby. I later. That's it. That's Andy Milanakis. Hope you guys enjoyed. I know I did.
What a ride. Am I right? You're welcome. Anyway, guys, have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. I'm feeling insecure right now. I don't know why, but that's my truth, you know? And I'm not afraid to, to put it out there. I'm trying to be more myself on a daily basis and not play this charade, project this thing, this, uh, this idea, this image of someone that I think you'll like. Nope, this is me. Take it or leave it. But please, God, take it. I got nothing else. All right. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Okay, bye.